0: Welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. In this episode, I got a chance to get to know first-time author Amy Klinger. Amy was a musician long before she was a writer. She started with folk guitar and worked her way over to classical guitar. So having her on this podcast is a perfect mix. Amy has stitched music into the entirety of her new book in light of recent events, a book about working in an office in the 1990s. I'd go into it more, but who can really beat an author when describing the details of their own book? I can't. She does it so much better. In this episode, we talk about what led Amy to writing, what's underrated and overrated, concert edition, and I think we somehow worked cats into the conversation. I don't know. Listen so we could all be sure. But before the show, I'd like to share that Textual Healing is now offering merch, Show us that you too are a textual healer, sorry for that really lame name, by checking out our swag and leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts after the show. For now though, please enjoy this fun and off-kilter episode with Amy Klinger. Okay, so as we begin, do you want to do a little intro about yourself? Tell us who you are. Sure. Um... I am amy klinger i'm
1: a first time novelist at the age of fifty one which is a pretty strange thing but um I spend most of my time uh working freelance um, copywriting and brand strategy and whatnot but um fiction has always been a part of what I do in the in the few scraps of time that I have. And over time, it's become a bigger and bigger part of what I do. And, um, and I'm psyched that it's finally, I finally have something out in the world.
0: Why did it take you so long to, uh, get into it?
1: Um, I, um, I got my MFA probably, I guess when I was about 27.
0: Oh, wow. Um, So you really had a gap.
1: Yeah. And I, I stopped writing fiction for a, a, a while for probably about 10 years. Um, and then just started to, to miss it and go back to it. And, um, and so it became kind of like a hobby, like, uh, you know, one of these projects that you work on in the garage, like an antique car that you work in the garage on the weekends. And you know, you don't really know if it'll ever get out on the road, but, um, I had a family, I had my daughter and I was working full time. So it was, it was never really a priority until, um, until it became a priority. So, um, it, it took, uh, a long time of writing it in little scraps and pieces. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's out in the world.
0: (laughs) And do you want to tell us a little bit about it? It's, uh, in light of recent events.
1: Yep. In light of recent events, it's a kind of a comedy drama set in the workplace of the 1990s. Um, Gets a little, uh, there's a little poignancy, there's a little farcicalness to it, and um, uh, it it came a lot out of some of my past experiences. Although it's entirely fiction, um, it was just kind of that workplace is is such a ripe setting for all kinds of little dramas, and um, and there was something really satisfying about writing in a period that, um, is so different from where we are now with everything being quite a little more connected than it was back in the 1990s.
0: Mm -hmm. God, it's so weird to hear someone say the 1990s. I was born in 1990. (laughs) I mean, it's better than like, um, people now are like saying, oh, you're born in the 1900s and it's like, fuck you. Don't, don't say that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had someone, someone say recently, uh, I'm not going to get it right, but, but basically they were referencing the 1920s as a point of reference for where we are now. From uh, probably, I don't. I'm like I said, I'm going to get this wrong, but where where I was in high school, but like that gap and that perspective of how I felt, uh, knowing that the 1920s were like this far away, far away place in history, and that I am at a point where I'm living in the same perspective uh, for that young people have on on the time when when I grew up. So it was a little unsettling but
0: yeah know, people tacos. have been saying that on tiktok like crazy doing like the random like time gaps and everything but the cool thing yeah. though is because we're all interconnected on the internet you won't be like that person from the 20s who doesn't get it
1: <laughs> it's true it's true uh yeah i think of my my grandparents um oh my gosh i can't can't even think of them uh in that way and or myself <laughs> in that way to my grandparents so
0: yeah yeah Definitely getting there, though. But I think it's funny that it takes place in the 90s because the playlist you sent me, obviously it's got a very wide range, but when I was thinking about it, I immediately was thinking, you remember all those indie movies that came out in the early 2000s or uh, The Aughts? Is that what we call them? Yeah. The Aughts. It felt like a playlist or soundtrack to one of those.
1: Yeah, it... it, uh, you know, it's hard to separate. Everything is kind of a bit of a blur. Um, and this, this one is a mixed bag because there are flashbacks in the book to the 1970s and, um, and eighties and and whatnot. And I, I could have gone all over the place with, with music. Um, but uh, there were certain, certain reference points for me that, that really hit home as I was writing it. And, um, that just came up naturally in a book that was set Again, in the nineteen nineties, in in particular in New Jersey, where where I grew up. So, um, but yeah, there there's there felt like there was a definite soundtrack in the way those movies of the aughts had a soundtrack um, that featured kind of prominently as as the backdrop.
0: I was going to say it's very funny for a story that takes place in Jersey. You only have one Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, well, people people get it. I mean, it's like um, Bruce is sort of the the icon there, and I don't need to reinforce that. Although, like I like I said, I I do reference Born to Run as as the one Bruce Springsteen reference that I would allow for the book to have. And I had no Bon Jovi, no Bon Jovi. I did not. <laughs> I figured there, I could only do one cliche at a time.
0: Only one.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. What was it that like made you put these songs in there like what inspired you cuz i mean i find it so awesome that like talking heads buzzcocks those really like mm-hmm. stood out yeah
1: um well there is a there's a character in the book Pooter who who is a who's a true music fan of all genres and so i i really needed to be, because many of the song references are his I felt like there needed to be this eclectic range and it gave me the freedom to, um, to go in a variety of sounds. Captain and Tennille is referenced, you know, James Taylor, Mm -hmm. um, and the Buzzcocks. Yeah. Um, although they're not specifically referenced in the book, there's just a band that's, um, the cock Asians that are referenced a fictional fictional band that's, that was sort of modeled after the Buzzcocks, um, but yeah like if if i'm going to have a character who knows something about music i can't just have him play Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi so um
0: you want them to know about music like legit music and yeah. as i see you, you play music yourself right
1: i did i do i did i don't have a lot of time to do it now but um yeah when i was a little kid i i learned classical guitar and and grew up playing classical guitar and folk stuff and um, I don't have a whole lot of time to do it now, but it's, it feels like such a part of, you know, of who I am and 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 I have that muscle memory in my hands that I could probably um, still pick up a lot of the old songs that I used to play. I just need more time to do
0: it. So there's a thing that I almost always am asking people anytime anyone brings up folk, because... It's not a big thing, obviously, here in Chicago, and I'm also very limited when it comes to that genre. But I'm dying for someone to really explain to me what is the difference between folk music and country music.
1: Oh, um, well, country music has such a a range, especially where it is now. Um, But they they come from the same place. I think of folk music as more just singer-songwriter that kind of person-to-person connection in a way that country, you know, you've got your, your fiddle and your banjo and, you know, maybe I'm thinking of it more in terms of, of bluegrass country in that way. But I tend to think of folk music is what you hear in the coffee houses and the Joan Baez and the, um, even John Denver and later on. And, um, it's to me, it's that one-on-one connection that where you could go to somebody's house and they just pull out a guitar and they just start, singing and playing um, in ways that country feels more collaborative to me that's probably a really wrong narrow definition but
0: no I think it's a good one believe no. me I've had some weird definitions on this show <laughs> I, I, no doubt some people literally <laughs> are like it's just because that's where it's from it's from the south if it's from the south it's country <laughs> it's
1: in the country there are trees and grass and yeah you know
0: and these are actual cows. musicians too. And I'm like, all right, yeah, right, I'll go with yep. you. Yep. Yep. So. so how did you go about writing this? Like, um, did you do it? Like, I know you said it took a while, but like, did you like, what, like hide in the garage, do it on your phone?
1: Yeah, yeah well, I, I did hide a bit, um, because my, uh, because I have a small house and a lot of, um, I shouldn't say a lot of people around. I have two people other than myself moving around, but they seem to make a lot of noise. And so I'd lock myself up in my, uh, in the bedroom. And I basically wrote this book in my bedroom on a laptop. Um, between the hours of like eight and nine thirty PM. PM, um, you know, end up, my typical day was going to work and coming home and doing the dinner and the, and, and, and the putting the kid to bed thing. And, um, and then when everything was kind of settled, I'd, I'd sit down and write, which is not a great way to write a novel. I would not advise that for anybody.
0: Really? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Because it's hard to keep track of, of everything. You know, your story is, is so piecemeal. Um, you know, uh, once I had a draft uh it became easier to to see the full picture and to edit it together, but for a long time it was just scraps of scenes um collected in a document mm-hmm. and uh uh you know i'm I'm working on a second novel right now, and it's a much different experience um because I'm dedicating more time to it and because i'm um, I actually have the deadline of the pressure of a deadline, whereas I was just the last one just sprawling over whenever I could fit it in.
0: And you already um, ripped the bandaid off, you know, with the first book, yeah. you know, the process, how to get it in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, um, it's set in Vermont, which is where I am living and, and have been for the last gosh, 20 years. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting experience walking around and, and kind of collecting things in my mind that, um, that I want to apply to the story in, in ways that looking back and trying to remember New Jersey when I was living there growing up, um, was, uh, you know, it was still pretty embedded in who I was, but, um, but it was reaching it back in my memories. It wasn't me walking around and, and, and like I said, gathering things up that I can stitch into the story.
0: So when you're reaching back into your memories for, uh, in light of recent events, like, how would you do that? Like um pictures... I, I mean, I doubt your, hmm. like, people would go on Facebook. I know, I just referred to hmm. Gen Xers as people. Yeah.
1: We sometimes are. Yeah. It's, it's nice that you remembered us.
0: Like, uh, you're anyway. a people separate from the rest <laughs> of us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, gosh, how did I...
1: I... Though the story is set in a particular place, and I will confess to having having worked in um academic publishing right out of college, so it was sort of the the landscape for it, but a lot of the experiences were throughout a career of working in and out of different different office environments, some of them corporate, some of them not corporate and um, you know the relationships that you have with people you you You're in a place stuck there eight plus hours a day and, um, you form these relationships that, um, that I find really fascinating because you don't pick them. They're not your family. They, you, are just stuck together in this building and, um, I think you find your people and, and that was a lot of what I was exploring in this book. Um, particularly for someone who's a middle manager and has her feet in, in both, um, you know she's having a relationship with uh her married boss and she has a really good friendship with her administrative assistant so she, she's kind of uh lost in the middle there um and i find those relationships really fascinating to to explore
0: i dig it um as a millennial i must confess i have no real understanding of the office environment aside from the tv show the office yep but well, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good example. I was gonna say I, I feel like it yeah. kind of fit when it came to like a lot of the dialogue. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, it's it comes from a real place. I mean, offices are kind of ex- absurd places where where people do care about their staplers and um, you know their there there there's so much territorialism that goes on,
0: but. Uh, actual, but it's a bizarre environment, conversations and stuff, literal
1: water cooler conversations. Yep.
0: Ah, that sounds so fun. I, I
1: haven't worked there in a, in, well, pre pandemic, I left the office environment and started working from home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and then it just got solidified. Um, so there, there are aspects about it that I really, really miss and much more that I really don't miss.
0: I mean, when I saw what you did for a living, I immediately assumed in my millennial mind, I was like, ah, remote worker. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) Probably worked at an office at some point, understand where she understands. Yep. Yep. Much,
1: most of my career was spent in various offices. Um, And, and it's been, it, it has not been a hard adjustment to just be behind my computer in my home office with, you know just myself and my cat and families out doing their thing at school and, and at work. So, uh, I don't mind the quiet.
0: Only person who's probably minding is the cat. Who's like, why are you mm-hmm. here?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm in his space for sure.
0: Like I I'm right now, my cat's just staring at me like, what the hell?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually I have, um, this is a, this cat is was supposed to be a barn cat, um, outside to catch mice and, and whatnot. But, um, oh gosh, it's a long story. I'll, I'll make it short. Uh, our humane society has, and maybe they, maybe they do in Chicago have a feral cat program where they pick cats up off the street and they try to rehome them. Um, in our case in Vermont, we have a lot of rodents and people have barns and, and so they, um, they give them to people thinking, well, if the cat's in a barn, at least it's fed and it's, and it's warmer than being on the street. And so we signed up for one because we had a huge chipmunk infestation, which was absurd. It was biblical proportions. And, um, they said, well, we don't have any, any feral cats anymore, but right, right now at the moment, but we have this one cat that's too aggressive to live indoors. So do you want him? And so we took him in and, uh, he turned out to have come from an abusive home. So he is extremely aggressive, um, and over time, you know, we've had him now three years, he's, he's kind of mellowed out, but he still has uh, quite a bit of PTSD. So I'll be on like a zoom call with somebody and he's in my lap and out of the blue, he'll just jump up and, and attack. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's probably really uh, funny
0: to the other people. Oh but. my gosh.
1: Yeah. But it's hard to explain. I mean, I can't go into the whole story. So I just kind of, Pry him off my face and 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 uh, and get him out of the picture, or it's happening below camera and there's nothing I can do. So
0: see, below camera is hilarious because you might like yeah. be reacting and people are like, "What the <laughs> hell is she doing?"
1: Exactly, he was spazzing out uh, and flinching um, as as he sinks his teeth into my arm really, really deeply.
0: See, that's what therapy was like for me, like in the height of the pandemic. <laughs> And my therapist was always like, oh, pets are so great. They're really awesome and therapeutic. And then she would look down at me. And I'd be like, well, here's my cat. She's losing her damn mind. She's not very therapeutic. No. Her baggage becomes your baggage. Basically. But, no yeah, I have a rescue cat, too. Um, yeah. She's crazy, but she was not crazy when she got here. <laughs> we made her crazy. <laughs> <first. laughs> What's her name? Starbuck.
1: Starbuck. That's good. It's just a singular Starbuck.
0: Yeah. Uh, everyone always asks where, like, I came up with the name. As I'm drinking Starbucks, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moby Dick. Why?
1: Oh. See, I went to Batt- Battlestar Galactica.
0: Oh, fuck yes. That's another yeah. big reason. We always say it's the triumvirate. Moby Dick, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, and the coffee shop. And coffee. It's a perfect name. It is. Um, we were actually looking at her brother at first, and we thought that cat was a douchebag. And we were like, we're not going to get that cat. And but aren't
1: all cats douchebags?
0: Actually, she wasn't at first. She oh. was actually very cute, and she followed us out. Oh, you have to take her then. I know. We had to take her. And then little did we know, she's like the bitch of the household. <laughs> But I don't know if like anyone else's cat does this. When I'm listening to music and maybe like dancing around or something, my cat comes out then, and like she'll try and like get all over my feet and try and trip me up.
1: Mine will. Well, my husband plays metal guitar, um, and so our cat who has this issue with PTSD. Um, will really hide. He'll go under the desk any time the guitar gets pulled out. And so yeah. he's not a... Our our cat is not a music fan.
0: Yeah, mine, mine likes it if I pick her up while I'm listening to music, mm-hmm. but that's it. Maybe, it's, maybe she likes waltzes. Maybe. Who knows? Cats respond so oddly to things. It's so awesome, though. Your husband does guitar, too? He, he does, does,
1: yeah. Yep. He... um he grew up, he grew up in, um, like the 1980s hardcore scene in, he grew up in not the nice part of Brooklyn and the part that has not been gentrified yet. Um, and so he was going to CBGB's, you see and all these, um, all these bands. And I, me, when I met him, I'm like, what's, what's hardcore. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I've, I've gotten quite a, a lesson in music from him over the years.
0: Was he like in like a like kinda I'm imagine like a garage band? Like what kind of band? He was he really didn't play in
1: band until he was about fifty. He just decided I mean, he always kinda of goofed around on the guitar and um and also fiddled around with the with the classical stuff. Um but it wasn't until he was 50. He's like, you know what? I really want to be in a band. And he put in a a Craig, he put out a Craigslist list ad and got a bunch of old guys together and they formed, formed this band called uh, Winooski and Ville company. And they've played a few shows and, and, but they're, you know, they're old guys and they have wives and uh, jobs and stuff like that. So they, I think they've only played out like five times in the last four years.
0: See, it immediately makes me think like, you know, a dad band, like, do they do covers or anything like that?
1: Um, They started out by playing some Black Sabbath stuff um, and then just wrote their own music. And they're, they're all super talented musicians. Um, So they just came together and started writing their own music, but boy, getting them to have fine time to rehearse and, uh, and then, you know, COVID and everything like that. So they, they're they always on like all metal bands they're always on the verge of breaking up and and then getting back together again.
0: Gen X dad bands sounds so much cooler than the baby boomer dad bands were, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, like you say like Black yeah. Sabbath and everything. I'm like, oh, I would see yeah. that. I don't care how old they are,
1: yeah, oh, and the, you know these these guys are still skateboarding, and you know they're they they uh they are definitely gen x not boomer dads
0: see your kids probably think you're awesome (laughs) um
1: oh gosh no i think
0: think damn it are all kids that way (laughs) we're like oh god my parents with their metal guitar and skateboarding yeah
1: Yeah. big eye rolls (laughs) even even for skateboarding
0: why are you trying to be young well, that's how they be. As I'm nope. looking out my window, there's a skateboard shop and there are like a shit ton of kids out there right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not, not, the, uh, not the 40 and 50-something-year-old dads because uh, no. I can see them there too.
0: Dude, it's always like this main pack of kids and um, they also ride bikes around all the time. We call them the Stranger Things kids. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that would actually be your generation, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we were on our bikes all the time.
0: I thought it was really interesting. Um I can't remember if it's Stranger Things or the kids from It. See, there's, like, a little overlap because that one kid is in mm-hmm. both of them. But they had to be taught how to ride bikes before doing it because that... Oh, uh, the actors? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I was even, like, I, I suck at bike riding, and I'm a millennial, but damn like that they didn't even know how to do it was like shocking
1: i can't even imagine like it was it was such a rite of passage there was no way any of my friends would have made it to you know age nine without having learned to ride a bike
0: yeah shit was different for our generation now i'm just imagining what like their big thing is for them yeah do your kids do they ride bikes
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we're, you know, we're out in the boonies. So uh, if you want to get anywhere and you don't have a car and you don't drive, like, my daughter's got to
0: hop on a bike. So. Mm. Makes um, sense, definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, as there are, there are Stranger Things kids outside right now. So obviously, I'm assuming around the same age ish. They seem like they're yeah. like preteens, maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, bikes are kind of freedom.
0: Oh hell yeah! I mean, I prefer obviously the car.
1: <laughs> My daughter just turned 15, and I'm. Um, we are teaching her how to drive right now, and it's kind of terrifying, um, in ways that I didn't expect. Like just realizing how her—I can't even imagine for for when we were growing up. Sometimes you had to learn on the, on a stick shift, and so all the things that you have that that this. 15 year old brain has to process in order to safely be out on the road with other, with other drivers. Um, it was a big realization to say, Oh, uh, this was, this is a little more complicated and, and scary than I thought it was going to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've done it where I've been with my nieces and nephews when they first started learning how to drive a car and I can't express the fear. Yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: I said, my, my daughter was, we were, it was one of the first times we were out on a road and it was a pretty empty road, but I said, okay, Hey, you're going to make a turn here. Um, so that we can, we can switch drivers again. And she said, okay. And just went, she didn't, she didn't look what was coming. She just said, okay, I'm turning left. And, uh, you know, luckily nobody else was coming the other way, but it was like, oh, you have to tell her everything. So come up to the road, slow down stop and make sure any, nobody's coming and put on your signal and then go. And, um, you know, you, it's so, you just do these things. You don't even think about the, the steps, but.
0: You think like they're learning, like by watching you when you're driving, but then it's like, yes. oh, no, they're actually just listening to the music on the yeah. stereo or whatever the hell yeah. they're listening
1: on their phone. I would yep. say
0: phone, um, I was going to say iPods and I was like, no, that's my generation. I've- Walkman.
1: That would have been that would have been me. Yeah. a Walkman.
0: I had I remember a Walkman at one point. Yeah,
1: <laughs> did you? Yeah, I remember, I remember saving up every penny to buy a Walkman, and um, and the day that I finally got it was it was joy. It was a joy like nothing else.
0: Really? Well, I yeah. guess that was for me with my first iPod. My Walkman I got from my sister. I have all Gen X siblings, so it was oh, all hand yeah. down. Yes, maybe it was a big deal for her when she got it. Yeah. yeah. But, no, the iPod was like a really big deal because like we were able to listen to music while we ran the mile at school, and like almost everyone else in my class had it. And I was just like, oh my god, I need to save up the money because I don't know if anyone recalls it was actually really expensive to get an iPod.
1: Yeah. I, and they were big too, weren't they? they were oh, kind yeah. Like phone size. they were
0: thick too. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually had to get like a carrier thing where it kind of like could attach to your like pants and everything. And they'd have a
1: a belt clip.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I could only like equate it to like a pager kind of (laughs) thing or like how dads use with their phones. Yes. How they (laughs) always have it attached to their belts.
1: That OtterBox thing with the, with the clip. Exactly. Indestructible. Yeah, I, I will confess to having had one of those not that long ago. <laughs> was I always just wonder, comedian.
0: like, what what speediness do you need to get your phone? And like, makes I, me think of like an old Western and be like, I got it right I now. It. Quick draw! God, now I'm just imagining Walkman. Like, you had to buy CDs for everything. You couldn't even get individual songs.
1: Oh, I hate to tell you, this was before CDs. These were cassettes.
0: Well, that shit's These actually were... legit. You could do mixtapes then.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah, I had a ton of of mixtapes and, you know, trying to listen to the radio to find just that right song. You just wait and wait, wait that it, that it was coming on so you could record it. And um, I don't know. There's something really. I, I know people love records and I love records for all the same reasons um, and cassettes just for a whole host of other reasons, were so great.
0: I was actually going to bring up, actually, cassettes versus records and everything. I was actually going to ask, I was going to name a few things, and you're going to tell me if it's overrated or underrated. What do you think? Okay,
1: I'm in. I have lots of opinions on overrated and underrated.
0: Okay, Records. <sighs>
1: That one's a tough one because I want to say overrated just because we have a record player and haven't been able to use it because there's no needle. Uh, the needle broke, Ooh. and so just having to get the accessories. I don't know. Nah, you're on the boy. Fence. That's a tough one. I I am because I I really love the pops and the 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 crackles and uh and the arm the mechanical arm that it kind of just does that lift ride over and then lands down right um i don't know there's something magical about records so i'm gonna say um underrated by people who don't appreciate them okay
0: about that um music festivals
1: uh overrated
0: overrated Uh,
1: yeah why yeah
0: um well, if you're
1: going to listen to the music, and that, that's, to me, I, I'd rather listen to the music. You end up sitting in a circle with people who are who are not there to listen to the music. They're there for the experience. So um, if I go in with the right attitude, then I, I'm totally fine with, with music festivals. But if I go there to see somebody I really want to see, then I get bummed out.
0: Okay. So I'm assuming that you're going to say crowd surfing is overrated
1: <laughs> not at all I think crowd surfing is amazing
0: oh hell um, yeah okay
1: yeah that the, that that you tr- you're trusting these total strangers to to keep you lifted it feels like a big metaphor for I don't know for, for a living and being a part of a community
0: have you ever done it N- no no <laughs> no
1: it's not I happen in a mosh though no, it's not. It's not. And I'm a small person. So, you know, I figure it's, it's,
0: it's easy as hell when it, you're small, it wouldn't
1: be a huge risk. It wouldn't, uh, you know, if I fall, I'm not gonna, I don't know, at my age, I might hurt something, but that's okay.
0: It's, I gotta say, I crowd surfed once and falling never even like came into my mind.
1: <laughs> See, there's the trust, your your community's got you.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I feel like people are more willing to like help you anyways. Yeah, yeah. I think if
1: if you're putting yourself out there, um, I would hope that that people are going to sort of see you coming and, and make sure they got you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember people yelling at other crowd surfers, but people are all right with me. But I'm a tiny person, so
1: yeah, yeah. We we get away with more, I think.
0: I think being, so too. Small. I didn't even really have to ask the person to help me. I just kind of gestured, and they're like. I'll hop on! Let's do it. Sure, let's go. Okay. Taking videos or pictures at concerts.
1: Oh, uh, overrated.
0: Yeah, I hate those. I, for the same too. reason.
1: I, for the same reason. Like I want to. I want to listen to the music. I want to watch the experience. I don't want to. I don't want to watch it through your camera in front of me, and I and I want to see it with my eyes. I don't want to. I don't know. You. I think you miss out on being there. It's kind of.
0: So here's my last one, and it's because I'm deciding if I want to do it or not because I'm getting older, wearing earplugs at a concert. (laughs) Um,
1: Because they have cooler
0: ones, but yeah.
1: I do, but I try to be really discreet about it.
0: Um, We have long hair. (laughs) I
1: do. I do, so I'm... I'm, I try to be discreet about it. It's a bummer because like, you want this you want the sound. Um investing in a good quality pair. Now I sound like my dad. If you if you spend the money and you get a good quality pair of earplugs, you can you can enjoy the sound and protect your ears at the same time.
0: Oh don't worry, so. I have my friend who like gave me that speech at the same concert that I crowd surfed on. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, You should get earplugs and I was just like, I clearly yeah. am not caring about my safety no. right now. <laughs> but now I'm considering it, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, it just I, I the potential for hearing loss, and I can I can tell you that my husband, like I said, big metal fan been to many, many concerts, uh, has paid the price with his hearing. So yeah, it's probably it's probably good to to protect it in the in the now, so that down the road when you're you can still hear people talking to you.
0: Yeah, like the tiny minutiae or whatever. <laughs> yes. But like as a teenager, you love being like all up on those like amps and everything.
1: Oh yeah, you know, like, yeah. The, so if you I can feel, feel it, it it's your... really
0: good. Exactly. If my teeth are rattling. I'm having a good time. If I don't feel a little disoriented after the show, it wasn't a good show. Right. Right. So what's the last concert you've been to?
1: Um, who did I see? Oh, I saw my husband's band
0: in, mm-hmm.
1: um, in, in, in a, it was a, a converted well, during the day it's a yoga studio. At night it's um they they play music. Um who did I last see? I like
0: dual venue. It was a like while that. ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. Um one of my first funk shows
0: was at a place like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they just lend themselves to say, well, if it's a space and you can house people and, and a band, just do it. Yeah. Um so it's pretty that's pretty cool. Who did I see last? I can't even remember. It was so long ago. It was definitely pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm totally blanking.
0: <laughs> That's all right. Pandemic is obviously mm-hmm. definitely fucked with everybody's mind a little bit with <sighs> concerts.
1: Yeah, it feels like it feels like I could take those two years and just clip them out of out of my life if I could just remember what happened before. Um,
0: I was driving earlier today, like going to the store, I have my mask in my pocket and I like, it didn't even occur to me. I was like, wow, we don't even wear them anymore, but it's still always with me. Yeah. And it's just like, I struggle to remember like a time when we weren't doing that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I keep a stash in my, in my car. So it's like hanging, it's almost like the, you know, the fuzzy dice hanging from the mirror. I've got a. I've got a mask at the ready if I need it.
0: Now, anytime you uh, do our laundry or sign you will find a mask fall out of one of our pants. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. They're everywhere.
0: Yeah. It's a different world.
1: It is, but, uh, you know, I hope that uh, that this holds for a little bit. I won't get all, all gloomy about it.
0: Well, I'm fine if everyone wants to get gloomy or whatever. Yeah. It
1: was it was uh it was a it was a time period, a period of history.
0: i would say it is See, you guys are now understanding what it's like to be millennials a little bit, really epic <laughs> moments.
1: Exactly. The epic moments just keep coming.
0: Yeah. Uh. Only the epic moments are always like hugely like life altering, world shattering. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I had I had uh I had someone talk talking about about the book in light of recent events but saying how how quaint it was to go back to a time when that was before all this when when it wasn't there wasn't something new and doomy in the news all the time every day I thought oh yeah
0: yeah I was going to say what is it about the 90s cuz there were shitty things happening but I don't know, like the Clinton years and everything, you guys seem to have been able to push all that out of your minds or was it just not being like shoved at you all the time?
1: Yeah, I think it's both. I think, I think it's that we didn't, we weren't quite so uh, bombarded all the time and the things were probably not quite of the same scale that they are now, you
0: know? Mm Mm-hmm. You're know, like, like, with genocides and everything happening, you guys just were like, no, Rwanda, yeah. we don't know that place.
1: We don't even know where that is. You exactly. know, that, was, that was kind of, <laughs> we didn't have maps on our phones and things like that.
0: Impeaching um, Clinton. Well, we don't really know why.
1: It, that was exactly, it was like, well, okay, if that's what they feel they need to do, uh, okay.
0: Wow, simpler times.
1: Well, it, Simpler or less engaged, I think probably less engaged in a lot of ways.
0: I feel but. though that has to like create a lot more like optimism, like in your personality. Mm. No?
1: Gen X's are not known as being very optimistic people.
0: I think I've met too many happy ones then. <laughs> I mean, then again, you're into music, so like you're a little cool. <sighs> like you, you listen to Buzzcocks <laughs> and Talking Heads, yeah. so. Were you into like grunge stuff or anything?
1: Um, I was a wide mix cause I'd listened to what my, I had two older sisters, so I'd listen to, to their kind of soft Rocky stuff and, um, you know, the the pop stuff that my friends were listening to. It was, it was all kind of pretty, pretty fluid. Like it was music. I, I looked of the Genesis and the prog rock stuff and, um, um, and it probably wasn't until a little bit later, like when I met, met my husband, that I really started appreciated the the more punk and the and the harder edge stuff.
0: That's definitely what happens when you get together with somebody. You start slowly like merging your tastes.
1: Yeah, we did for sure. I I was like, hey, this is Tom Waits. Let me introduce you to you know some some growly blues stuff and. And he said, and, and here, you know, here's the descendants. Here's, uh, I, 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 metal was, was the one that I struggled to get into, but, but I, I really enjoy, enjoy the punk scene a little bit more.
0: Metal, I can't do so, punk. I can yeah. do see metal. I associate with my brother and it's just cause he listened to it all the time when he was working out and he's a football player and it yeah. always felt so mm-hmm. jockey. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Which is interesting because my husband is not jockey. He's, he's more, uh, you know, I kind of, I think there's like a, a geeky metal side also. I think there's the jocks for sure, but then there was also sort of like the dungeons and dragons and, um,
0: got to appreciate that that flip
1: side stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the the medieval references, and I guess it depends on the metal. There's a lot of metal. Oh, yeah. Variations of metal.
0: I think there's music for any kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There really is. I mean, I had a friend who actually made me listen to a band that was made, um, all their music was made from Nintendo sounds.
1: Oh. Yeah. That's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, I forget the name of the band, but yeah we actually watched them, and it was literally them playing Nintendo making music out of it <laughs> and I was just like, This is the wildest thing I've ever seen that
1: is, that's i can't even i can't even fathom spending a whole lot of time listening to Nintendo music, but see, you know there's <laughs> I
0: left halfway through the show, but they had a good time.
1: They, I'm sure they did. Yeah, everybody finds their niche. Yeah,
0: yeah. My niche is definitely more pop punk, indie. Yeah, Riot Girl, grunge. Yeah, Riot.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. You into Riot who are, Girl? Who are your
1: other favorites? Uh, you, you know, superficially. Um, I if you ask me, like the to name the songs, I probably.
0: Couldn't but uh You're gonna name bikini catch, aren't to. you? I
1: was. That's I cool. was. That's
0: cool. <laughs> it's one of the last uh concerts I was at. Was it? Yeah, at Riot Fest a couple years ago. One of the last. I saw them, then I saw Slater Kinney and then the pandemic. I like Slater Kinney.
1: I wonder I think my husband was at that show. Really? He and his he met his brother. Yeah, they went out they, they went out for Riot Fest. Um, and he mentioned seeing Slater Kinney and um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones that he talked about.
0: Oh God, I'm um, trying to remember what year it would have been.
1: I want to say for him it was probably four or five years ago.
0: Shit, my sense of time is gone.
1: I know. I'm telling you, those two years just they're they're there and then they're not there. It's sort of like one of those uh, holograms. I feel like
0: you know what's annoying is because I was just rereading Carrie Brownstein's autobiography. And I remember I read that right around the time that I saw Slater Kinney at Riot Fest. Hmm. Huh? Have you ever read that, by the way? No, I haven't. Oh, it's It's really good. Yeah. I love uh, musician autobiographies. You into that? Memoirs?
1: I read the Bruce. um, Now, here we go. Jersey girl. I read the Bruce Springsteen memoir.
0: That's a good one. Yeah, I really want,
1: I want to read Dave Grohl's book, um, but now, I, now I'm thinking the Carrie Brownstein one would be next on my list.
0: Dave Grohl would be cool. I'd like to check that out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm trying to imagine though, like I really like the vibe of the office that you made in light of recent events.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I, I don't know, it just feels like the kind of office that I'd want to work at, <laughs> which is sad because yeah, I don't like offices. <laughs>
1: I think that's why that the show, the office and, um, Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a total blank on the movie office space. I
0: love office from space years
1: ago. It's it, like, it, I love the way that it teases out so much, uh, of what is mundane and ridiculous about the office. And it's that it's entertaining that, that you're holding up these things to, to light that, um, in the everyday when you're in the office, they suck. They're, it's terrible. You know, copier machines are terrible. Um, that's why it was so fun in in one of the scenes where you reference David David Byrne when when like the character Pooter hears the rhythm is just like Road to Nowhere. It's like this treasure found in in the grayest, most barren landscape um, that is the office. So I don't know. I find I find Office is really sad and hilarious at the same time
0: i mean you'd have to find it somewhat hilarious as a coping mechanism wouldn't you
1: you do you do to get through that much time in the day
0: i'm just looking at your cover right now the happy face sad face clips (laughs) yes
1: Uh, yes, that was a legitimate like oh my gosh those clips look like people sitting at a desk
0: one Mm, looks like it um, hates its life
1: yep It's the mood swings of the office.
0: But I found the name pooter so odd. (laughs) Have you ever, do you know anyone with that name? So I, I, I know
1: a river by that name. Okay. So I lived in, I lived in Salt Lake city for a while and, um, and was involved with, with kind of the whitewater rafting community and, there's a river in Colorado called the they call it the it's pronounced the Pooter River but it's spelled P O U D R E and I thought well that's so American and for some reason the the sound of that word really stuck um and the character Pooter and and the narrator Audrey of this book came out of a basically a free writing exercise a million years ago and the name just came out and people latched onto it when I was, you know, kind of reading with the group. They're like, Oh my gosh. And they'd always, they'd always ask like, are you going to write about pooter again? And the name just stuck. So, uh, it, he was never not pooter.
0: I really dig that. I mean, I keep forgetting that you did an MFA. I have no idea what like the concept and like how that works out and like the writing exercises and everything. So what you just write and people give feedback in your class or?
1: Oh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that, I mean, you have workshops and uh, they're not all writing classes. They're literary literature classes and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what happens. Um, yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, you'd, you'd write something, you'd share it. Either people, gosh, it's so long ago. I haven't been in a workshop setting, but. You you'll you'll spend time working on something and hand out pages ahead of time so people have time to read it and then you bring it in the class and very often they'll they'll really shred it up with with horrible feedback and and then you kind of lick your wounds and you say okay I'll 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 take these suggestions and these I'm going to ignore and um, but it's a it's a humbling experience grad school for sure.
0: See, I don't think I could deal with that mm. Mm. that many people giving so much yeah. criticism. I like selecting yeah. my beta readers, being like, you, 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 and you. I'll only yeah. listen to you guys.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a wise way to do it. And, uh, and giving parameters, too, I think sometimes helps. That says, like, this is the kind of feedback I'm looking for. This is not the kind of feedback that I'm looking for.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll it's definitely helpful. do that, too.
1: Yeah. How yeah. did
0: the process with this book go? Like, when you finally, like, got it to, like, Final manuscript, mm-hmm. not final manuscript, but yeah. Did um, so, uh, I, the publisher do a lot of beta readers or just an editor?
1: No, I I spent so much time doing this book, and when I had a when I had a complete draft of it, I sent it to, I I shared it with some nice readers who I knew would be really gentle, and they gave me their feedback, and I said okay, and then I went through and I did another pass. I, this. Book was probably revised fully, like overhauled three times, um, and then I gave it to a you know probably more harsher readers who who would comment on more structural things and um, took their feedback and revised. it. So by the by the time it got to the publisher, um, it was in pretty I want to say it's pretty good shape. Um, the feedback that came back in the in the from the development editor was not not substantial and was relatively easy to fix, but it had, the the manuscript had been through the ringer for years before that.
0: So what would you want people to like, remember the most after reading this?
1: I would say that, you know, the characters in this book, I, I like, I wrote them to be flawed characters that they were, you know, clumsy and made bad choices. And, but that it's all part of the path. And, you know, to me there, there really are not wrong decisions. There are just decisions and choices. And so, I think that's kind of the journey of the book is, is people realize it is are these characters realizing, yeah, you know, uh, I haven't always acted wisely, but intentions are good and, um, and life just happens. I don't know. That's not, that does not make this sound like an interesting book
0: I at actually, all. <laughs> I like that. Like what's the main takeaway from this book? Life just happens. No, that's yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> it,
1: it does. Now there's some weird, you know, kind of, like I said, farcical things that, that happen in it, but oh, I don't definitely. know. I, I, I really just, I, I, I like that things happen and people roll with them and it points you in different directions and, um, yeah,
0: Audrey definitely gets herself into a little bit of chaos. <laughs>
1: little, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. Um,
0: Do you want to? Sh- yeah. Read anything from it, or?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, sure. Let me. Uh, let me read. I think from the from the opening. Because anything else might be. A, I might have to actually spend time setting it up, and I oh, don't know that my brain's quite there, but. <laughs> All right, so this is chapter one of In Light of Recent Events. uh, Chapter one, Outside. In the New Jersey suburbs where I used to live, the ranch and split-level houses were packed shoulder-to-shoulder for blocks on end. I had developed a habit of taking strolls just after the sunset, spying through these literal and symbolic windows into other people's lives. Each bulging bay window was a giant TV screen featuring mostly mundane modern living, the hanging up of a coat and a closet, the orbit of someone setting silverware around a table, the delivery of clean laundry from bedroom to bedroom, and of course the television, the actual television, remote-controlled, flipping through syndicated sitcoms, past commercials to the local news stations, and back again. Sometimes the things I witnessed were not so mundane, like the time I sat on a bus stop bench watching a remarkable fight between a blazing angry blonde in silky blue pajamas and a stocky basketball coach of a guy "'bald and brooding with arms folded tightly over his chest. "'Her face was contorted and fierce "'as she circled him like a raptor "'until a spring snapped and he stood abruptly "'shouting back at her. "'That was when she picked up a palm-sized object "'from the table and winged it right through the side window, "'startling the neighbor's dog into a barking fit. "'Seconds later, the man blasted out the front door "'and down the concrete steps. "'He paced in the driveway, fists pressed to his hips "'in rigid triangles at his side.' There was nowhere for me to hide, and he spotted me sitting under the streetlight at the bus stop at a time of day when there were no buses stopping. I offered a tight, sympathetic smile and a weird kind of wave. He let out a long, slow sigh, then with a bitter laugh shouted to me, She hates when the pasta's not al dente. And though I never tipped the scale to become a peeping Tom, I didn't even own a pair of binoculars. I will admit that at least twice over the course of three years that I lived in my quiet condo, I happened to inadvertently witness the coupling of a young couple in the second-floor apartment that could be seen from my bathroom window. But A, both times, I was in the middle of brushing my teeth, not actively being intrusive, and B, their lights were on, their blinds wide open, and she was bent over the windowsill like the farmer's daughter in the hayloft. So while I didn't necessarily turn away from the scene, and I may have turned down my own lights so as not to be spied in return, I don't think their lack of discretion should damn me to, as to classification as a pervert. My interest in other lives was not kinky, just curious, seeking out those everyday moments of poignancy or grace, silliness and tenderness, explosive scenes like the shattered window, or quiet moments like someone slowly turning the blinds down for the night. Though not a skill most human resource professionals would actively seek an employee, I found that the ability to likewise sit quietly and observe in the workplace provided a subtle advantage that seemed evolutionary in nature. Because really, at its most basic, an office, such as the one in which I worked, was a living demonstration of the pack mentality, whereby every interaction was filtered through the lens of perceived status. And status, whether bestowed by one's title, office size, or number of subordinates, mattered. When you took the time to look and listen before exposing yourself in a meeting or at the nearly empty coffee pot in the break room, You were better able to navigate the complex social maze of cubicles. This applied to the go-getters as much as the coasters. I fell into the latter category. Pseudo-voyeur, coaster, technically single young woman with a slight case of ennui and an undersized sense of ambition, this was me, circa 1996. And it only mildly troubled me. After all, the vast majority of the world's population led quiet, not particularly remarkable lives. Odds were, I would never be a publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes winner, but it was just as unlikely that I would be struck by lightning.
0: I dig it. Do you want to plug anything else before we go?
1: Um, I have a website, amyklinger.com, where I have... uh, I'll put some essays and blog posts up there on occasion. Um, I have a newsletter you can subscribe to there, and... Uh, my social media status is uh working on being improved. So I have a Facebook page, I have a lamish Instagram page, and I'm gonna be dipping into the TikTok world uh, eventually. I haven't gotten there yet.
0: Well oh, wow, you're just gonna skip Twitter altogether. <laughs> I
1: I am. I don't I can't handle the pressure of having to be that clever that continuously.
0: Well, it's all right. We don't need you. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on without me. We'll we'll definitely get through it. All right. I think so. Have a good one.
1: Thank you so much. It was so much fun talking to you, Mallory.
0: All right. That was Amy. Support her by checking out her website, amyklinger.com, or by buying her book, In Light of Recent Events. She also has a playlist available for you to listen to on Spotify. The link is in the show notes. As always, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at Healing, and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really makes all the difference. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every other Saturday. This is Mailer Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.